Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. And it's always a great pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon at 1 o'clock. And we have many fascinating things to talk about this Wednesday. We're going to start out with um, one of the great leaders of European Jewry before World War II. His name was Rabbi Meir Shapiro. And the reason why I want to talk about Rabbi Meir Shapiro is because Last Wednesday, which was the 7th of Cheshvan, was the Yotat of Rabbi Man Shapiro. And his influence and impact on the Jewish world is vast and significant and has a major effect on um, our situation, on the, the existence of Klai Yisrael in the world today. Uh, the reason is because he's the founder of the Dafa Yomi program. Rabbi Man Shapiro was born in Poland in 1887, and uh, he died in 1933. He was a young man when he died. He was not very old. Um, he was only 46 years old. And in those four t- short 46 years, his vision, his genius, his ability to think out the box and to see the situation of Klai Israel was absolutely legendary. Um, and for two main reasons. The the first one is, is he, he built his famous Yeshiva called Chochmei Lublin in Poland. And the second is, of course, his introduction, his innovation, and his beginning, his starting of the Dafa Yomi program. Um, and the, the way he did that was absolutely fascinating. So I'm sure the, this program of Daf Yomi is familiar to many of our listeners. Uh, Daf Yomi is a program, program where Jews around the world all learn the same daf of Gomorrah. So we know that the Gomorrah is made up of the Torah Shabbat, the written Torah, which is the five books of Moses, and the Torah Shabbat, the oral Torah, the oral tradition. Now, the oral tradition was written down um, first by Rebbe, Rebbe Huda Nasi, in the form of the Mishnah, and he divided the Mishnah into six sections, which are Shisha Sidre Mishnah, the six orders of the Mishnah, and that's a, the acronym of the word Shisha Sidre spells the word Shas. So when we say Shas, it's referring to the six orders of the Mishnah. It was written down by Rabbi Yehuda Nasi um, 2,000 years ago and the times of the Tanaim. And then the Jews were exiled into Babylonia and they discussed the Mishnah. They had various discussions about how the Mishnah, um, what the Mishnah means and what the Mishnah is referring to. Um, in the bus and midrashos, in the uh, in the uh, study halls of Babel of Babylonia, and that was also written down and edited by Ravina and Ravashi, and that's called the Talmud. The Talmud, the Gomorrah, is the discussions on the Mishnah, and that was written by, uh, written down um, from the year between the years three three hundred and five hundred of the Common Era in Babel and Babylonia, and that's the. Gomorrah. So the Mishnah and the Gomorrah together is the Talmud. So Rav Meir Shapiro came up with the innovation and the idea 
that the pages of that, uh, of course, it's the responsibility of the Jewish people to learn the Talmud. The Talmud defines us. The Talmud um, frames what it means to be a Jew, uh, gives us the understanding of the halacha, of what we should be doing as Jews, and how we fulfill the will of God in this world. And therefore, it's very important that we all are learning Torah Shabbat, that we're learning Talmud. And the Jewish world, the Jewish community, the observant Jewish community is very dedicated to the learning of the Talmud and the yeshivas that we study in are designed to teach the Talmudian, the students, how to learn Talmud they're different um, in the morning they, that's because very slowly and you learn what's called Be'iun where you analyze very deeply each page of, page of Talmud and the commentaries of the Rishonim, of the great commentators on the Talmud and that um, is a very challenging intellectual exercise to understand the depth and the meaning and the and the uh, words of the Talmud. And then there's an afternoon learning program, learning seder, we call it, um, the afternoon learning schedule, which is you go much faster and you cover ground. You you uh, get uh, to see the breadth of the Talmud. Rabbi Meir Shapiro came up with this idea of learning a daf a day. Now a daf is not a small, is no small amount. A daf in the Talmud is two sides, it's two pages, because every daf is an amud aleph and an amud base is the first side and the other side. So Rabbi Meir Shapiro said that the Jewish world, every Jew should learn a daf a day, which is two sides. And then uh, the Jewish world would complete the full shas, the complete Talmud would finish learning the Talmud in just over seven years. And he came up with this brilliant idea, this brilliant concept, and that would ensure that the Talmud would be constantly be learned in Klai Yisrael and that people would be learning the same thing together and then would complete the each Masechta and finally complete all of Shas, all 36 Masechtas to complete um, Talmud Bavli together. So it was the year 1923 when Rabbi Meir uh, Shapiro decided to present this radical and innovative idea of learning shas um, together as a one family, as one group, as one body, the Jewish people. And he presented it to the Agudas Yisrael Convention in 1923. So that was uh, attended by the Gedolim of the day, all the great Rabbonim of um, Europe, were at that Agudas Israel convention and Kiak uh, stands up this 36 year old which is relatively young with, with in, a, in a gathering of Rabbonim of rabbis so this young hotshot 36 year old from Poland and uh, takes the the uh, center stage and he makes a suggestion and he says I have an idea and I humbly present that idea to all of you great um, Rabonim that are present. And he presented the idea with a fascinating Gomorrah and Yevamos. The Gomorrah and Yevamos says that Rabbi Rabban Gamliel was out on a ship and he, Rabban Gamliel was an expert sailor. He, he knew, uh, how to, um, negotiate the seas very, very well, uh, an expert seaman. And he saw there was a huge storm that was brewing out at sea. And he realized that he would have to turn around and get back to dry land. Otherwise, his ship wouldn't survive the storm. 
And he, so he turns his ship around and he heads back for the shore um, at speed. And he looks behind him and he sees that there's another ship behind him. And he realizes that Rabbi Akiva is on that ship. And he's very worried and concerned that they're going to be caught up in that storm and they won't be able to make it back uh, safely to shore because the storm would cause their ship to break up and they would all drown. And he gets back to the shore and uh, to the relief of, of uh, himself and all those on his ship, they made it back alive and he goes straight to the base midrash. And when he gets to the base midrash, he sees that Rabbi Akiva is there. Rabbi Akiva's made it back. Not only has Rabbi Akiva made it back, but he got to the base midrash before him. Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva's given the shear. So he says, Rabbi Akiva, how did you make it back? I was so worried that your ship would be broken up in the storm and you would drown. Rabbi Akiva answered him and he said to him, his damen li daf shel sfina, that when the storm hit, the ship broke up and I fell into the ocean and I found a piece of wood. A daf is a, um, could mean a piece of wood. Um, and he says, I found this piece of wood and that piece of wood, as each wave came towards me, I was able to hold on to that piece of wood and it lifted me up above the waves and so I didn't drown. And that's how I survived. And Rabbi Meir Shapiro, in a play on words, said a daf could also mean a page. And we all need to hold on to the daf, to the page of Talmud. And when the waves that we are facing now in our world, he said in 1923, when the waves of materialism, when the waves of hedonism, when the waves of um, of uh, liberalism are now overtaking the world, the way we're going to keep our head above water and survive those powerful waves is by holding on to the duff. And therefore, we should all learn the same duff, and that will keep Klai Yisrael above the challenges of our times and enable us to continue to survive and thrive. And uh, it was a very powerful presentation. Rabbi Shapiro was an outstanding orator, very a very powerful speaker. And... Um, the, it, it, it touched those present in 1923 at the Akadot Convention very deeply. And the Gary Rebbe, that Rosh Hashanah, was just before Rosh Hashanah, that Rosh Hashanah, he said, we are all going to start learning Brachas, Daf Beis, Amad Aleph, and we start the Daf Yomi program. And that was the beginning of Daf Yomi, Daf Yomi exactly 90 years ago. And we see how its influence and contribution to Klai Yisrael has been absolutely immense and has kept the Jewish people surviving the many challenges we faced these past 90 years. Um, please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. talking about the great Rabbi Meir Shapiro and his brilliant innovation to the Jewish world of introducing the Dafa Yomi learning program and he successfully did so in 1923 at the Agudas Yisrael Convention and uh, since then for the last 90 years this program has been a part of the calendar of the Jewish people and as a result we've seen many thousands of people learning a daf a day 
and many, many thousands of people across the globe finishing Shas every seven years. We have many people here in South Africa that have joined the program and have completed Shas um, more than one time, which is really quite remarkable and unbelievable. It's an incredible thing. And many of uh, the South African participants have actually gone to the United States to participate in the summer gone to Israel and in America when the cycle is completed, when um, Shas, uh, when the, those that are learning Dafyomi complete Shas, which is 2,711 pages. Um, so you divide 2,711 by 365 and it's just over seven years. Um, so at the completion, there are big celebrations in Eric Israel all over the world. Here in South Africa too, um, we actually in fact had a, a wonderful celebration um, this past um, a year ago, uh, in a year and a half ago, where just before COVID hit, so it was in February of 2020, um, there was a wonderful celebration that was uh, actually sponsored by Deershoe. It was at the Wondrous, uh, the Wondrous Marquee, the Wondrous Field. And the Rabbi Pesach Kron was present. And there were many, many people over there. It was a wonderful celebration. It was probably the last big public gathering people went to before COVID hit at the beginning of 2020. Um, and uh, in, in the States, there are absolutely massive celebrations. And usually, um, our good as you saw, America hires out one of the biggest stadiums uh, in America. And it's filled up with Jews that go and celebrate the completion of Shas, and they have the a, a large, massive communal completion, and um, which is celebrated by hundreds of thousands live, and and many more that are hooked up online and are part of and watch the celebration. So that's the Dafa Yomi program, and that was started by the great genius Rabbi Meir Shapiro, whose yacht site it was um, last Wednesday on the seventh of Cheshvan. There's just one more thing I want to mention about Rabbi Meir Shapiro. And that is his tremendous yeshiva that he built. And he opened it, the Chochmei Lublin. He opened it in uh, 1930, just before he died. He died in 1933. And that was, uh, 1933 obviously was a terrible year for Klai Israel because um, it was the the passing of Rav Shapiro, the great Rav Shapiro. In fact, he was even a member of the Polish parliament. Um, so charismatic and... Um, and uh, powerful was he as an individual that he was re- he was elected by the Jews in Dublin to represent them in the parliament. And he, there are many stories about his interaction in the Polish parliament. But he died at the age of 46, a very young age, the year 1933. And that's the same year that the Holy Chofetz Chaim died as well. So Klai Yisrael lost Rabbein Shapiro and lost, lost the Chofetz Chaim. And it was not uh, long after that that also... Re- Chaim Oizer was Nifta, he died in 1941, Chaim and that was also the time when Hitler came to power in 1933. So we see the the dark clouds were upon the horizon of Klai they're losing these giants and the Nazis coming to power. So those were very dark days for the Jewish people in the Jewish world. But the other great contribution of Rabbi Meir Shapiro to Klai was the building of his Yeshiva Chochmei Lublin. The Yeshiva Chochmei Lublin was... Um, the Rabbi Meir Shapiro's goal was to build a yeshiva which would stand out in terms of its um, of the building itself, of it being a magnificent building. Was the first yeshiva that had running water, 
um, it was a very comfortable yeshiva. And in fact, the yeshiva building still stands. And uh, when I was in Poland in 2019, two years ago, so that they've turned it into a kosher hotel. So the dormitories of the yeshiva are now a kosher hotel. And um, the the uh, base midrash still stands. The original base midrash, oh, it's obviously been refurbished, but it it, it still is there. The, the building um, is still the same building that Ramesh Shapiro built. And his idea was to bring a great yeshiva to Poland based on the yeshivas in Lithuania. So Lithuania started was the 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 mother of of all yeshivas was Velozhin in 1802 was built, and then um, the offshoots of Velozhin were the great yeshivas of Mir and of um, and of Panovich and of uh, of Novadak and of Slobodka. So Ramesh Shapiro wanted to bring to Hasidic Poland a yeshiva that would be rival and and uh, even be uh, Better even uh, supersede the yeshivas of Lithuania, and that's what Chachmei Lublin was designed to do. It had a library, the great, the largest library of Torah Sforim in Europe. There were over a hundred thousand Sforim in Rav Meir Shapiro's library in his yeshiva, and he succeeded in building that yeshiva, which would be a great light for Polish Jewry for many gener- for for a long time. Well, it wasn't that long until the Second World War where Polish Jewry was slaughtered and wiped out by the Nazis. But until then, uh, the Chochmei Lublin achieved its a tr- tremendous goal. So um, we are um, we are uh, almost 100 years since the passing of Meshpur in 1933. And uh, so we, uh, you know, 88 years. And uh, we remember his tremendous contribution to the Jewish world his tremendous genius, his charisma, his dedication to Hashem and to Torah learning and his leadership of the Jewish people. So now I want to discuss a little bit about um, the parashas we're reading. And we are now starting, We last week was Lech Lecha, this week is Vayera. Um, we're starting the parashas that deal with our great patriarchs and matriarchs. And the Tana Debe Eliyahu Quotes the teaching of our sages of Chazal that say, Chayev call, um, Yudi, that every Jew is obligated to say, When are my actions going to mirror those of our illustrious patriarchs and matriarchs? We all should be saying that, that we try and model our lives, our behavior, our personalities on the our great patriarchs and matriarchs, and when are we going to achieve what they achieved in their lives? So, of course, you know, we can't go, get near them because they were giants, spiritually speaking, but if we can aspire to try and, and uh, follow their lead, their example, the model that they set for us. So I want to share um, one or two aspects in that regard, especially about Avram Avinu and Sarah Imenu, who were the founders of the Jewish people and of Klal Yisrael. So we see this something fascinating. The Midrash tells us that Abraham actually met Shem. So we know Noah Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yafes. So Abraham in his younger years actually met Shem. And he said to Shem when he met him, the Midrash says, he said to Shem, what did you do in that year 
that you were in. What did you and and all of you, the rest of your family, um, your father Noach and your brothers, and um, all of your families? What did you do in that time that you were in the ark? And Shem answered Abraham, and he said, "We were all involved in Chesed twenty four seven. What Chesed were they involved in? They were involved in the Chesed in the kindness." Of feeding the animals, that was their constant preoccupation. That they had to make sure that all the animals survived the flood and survived in the ark. And so they were. Um, there was not enough personnel. All hands on deck, literally, on the on the ark, and they were feeding the animals constantly. And that's what kept the animals alive. And that was their focus at that time. And Abraham chapped. Abraham worked out. Abraham realized. That God was now ending all of humanity because they had become so morally degenerate, and God was now um, building a new world, building a new world with those individuals that were in the ark, which is Noah and his family, and God's training, God's um, his, his, his the the way He wants to bring this new world order into being. Is entirely through Chesed, that the training of those individuals who would be who would start this new world order would be in kindness, feeding the animals involved in kindness. And Abraham realized, Oilam Chesed Yibane, that the foundation of the world is Chesed, is kindness, and therefore um, he realized that that is the how God, and certainly we can see God's kindness in all of creation. That Abraham very clearly worked out and saw, and he realized that the building of God's world would be with kindness, and that's something that obviously he and Sarah dedicated their lives towards, towards making, building, creating a world of kindness, and that's one of the three pillars upon which the world rests, as it says in Pirkeavos, how oilam oimed al shloshet devarim, the world stands on three things, Torah. Avoida ugumilas chasadim, the um, study of Torah and the observance of Torah, the um, avoida, which means serving Hashem. We had a Beis Hamikdash, a temple, so there was the divine service in the Beis Hamikdash. Today we don't have a temple, but we have tefillah. That's the avoida, avoida shebeleiv, um, uh, praying and meditating and connecting with the higher dimension of God through our prayer, through tefillah. And thirdly, gumilas chasadim. Acts of kindness and acts of kindness are one of those pillars that hold up the world. And uh, from that point on, Avram and Sarah dedicated themselves to kindness. And in a moment, we're going to discuss the quality of kindness that they introduced into the world and why the depth behind that kindness. But I, I just want to emphasize um, how important it is that we um, realize what kindness is. And we are able also to focus on that. It should be a goal that should certainly be one of the priorities by which we conduct ourselves and live our lives. Um, so there, there's a, at the beginning of this week's past, Pasha, Pasha Vieira, we see that the practical manifestation of this principle in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. What happens? We see that there are three Arabs walking in the desert. Abraham, it's the third day of his bris, so he's in a lot of pain. And the Torah tells us that Hashem made it a very hot day 
in order that there wouldn't be people walking around so Abraham could rest. Because Hashem knew that if everybody, anybody was around, Abraham would rush to um, try and uh, do kindness and, and welcome them and, and show them hospitality. So Hashem wanted Abraham to have the chance to, to recover um, and therefore Hashem made it a very hot day so people wouldn't be walking around. But when Hashem saw that Abraham's pain of not doing kindness was more than the pain from his bris miller, he's 99 year, years old, Abraham at the time. So Hashem sends these three individuals. They really are malachim. They are angels, but they look like human beings. They're, uh, and act like human beings. So one could not tell that they were not human beings. And they were these three messengers of God that are now passing through the desert. Abraham sees them. He goes out to greet them. He bows down to them. He bows down to each of these three Arabs that are passing through the desert. And he says, please let me um, give you a meal. Please come into my tent and let me give you some rest from the heat and some water to quench your thirst and some food to eat. And so these three say, okay, thank you for your offer. And they come into the tent and Abraham and Sarah just run around them and try and, um, and, uh, and show the hospitality to the best of their ability to these three individuals. And Abraham, the Torah tells us, he shechts three bulls and gives each one of them a tongue. A tongue is a great delicacy, even to this day, you know, uh, uh, in aristocratic circles, they serve tongue because it's so expensive and because it's such a delicacy. And um, each one gets their own tongue and each one gets f- uh, fine flour and each one gets yarn, gets wine. And we see Abraham and Sarah really, you know, pull out all the stops. We see that uh, Bill Gates's daughter is getting married this week and he's presenting a huge banquet to the guests on his ranch in New York. Um, but Abraham and Sarah's banquet that they served to these three Arabs was even more elaborate than what Bill Gates will be serving to his guests at his daughter's wedding. So the question is, why was that necessary? Why is it necessary for them to go to such lengths for it to be, you know, so lavish and so almost, you know, um, overdone in terms of these are three Arabs walking through the desert. They would be very happy to have a tuna sandwich and a little bit of water. Why is it necessary for Avram and Sarah really to go above and beyond and serve each one with a tongue and serve each one with these beautiful uh, white flower cakes, which was rare in that time. They didn't have white flour and serve each one with this very expensive vintage wine. Why was that necessary? They, they were hungry and thirsty. You could give them each a sandwich and each a little bit of water and would have provided for their needs. But that wasn't enough for Avram and Sarah. Their understanding of chesed went beyond that. The understanding of chesed wasn't simply providing a need, but rather was treating each one of their guests like royalty, like a king. Why? Why did they go to these lengths? So we're going to answer that question in a moment when we return from this break. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. 
So we just asked the question, why is it that Avram and Sarah went to such lengths to um, honor and host these three travelers, these three Arabs that were traveling through the desert? And they could have given them some, you know, a little bit of bread to eat and some water to drink, and that would have provided for their needs. But Avram and Sarah almost seemed to go over the top, and they give each one a tongue and each one these fancy um, cakes made from white flour and each one this expensive vintage wine. Why do they do such a thing? And the answer is that Avram and Sarah in their kindness weren't simply providing for a need that an individual had, that there was lacking, that people, there's a need for welfare, that people need to be helped. Avram and Sarah's chesed, kindness, went beyond that. Because Avram and Sarah realized that each individual is made, created, with the spark of the divine. And Avram and Sarah wanted to impress upon each individual that stepped into their tent that they have a godly soul, that they have the slither of the divine, of eternity in them, and that they should treat themselves as such, as kings, as queens, as elevated human beings with a godly soul. That's their goal in the chesed. So the kindness of Aram and Sarah wasn't simply just to provide for a need that was lacking in these individuals, to give some welfare. Uh, their goal was to teach individual, each individual, about their inner greatness, about their holy, godly soul that was within them about their infinite potential as a human being. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a whole new understanding of what kindness is? And the reason why Avram and Sarah did this, we said because Avram met with shame, and shame told him that they were involved with the kindness of feeding the animals in the ark. Avraham realized that that was the foundation of the world, Olam Chesed Yibane. But Avram and Sarah realized that there's a God, that God exists in the world and they saw that in creation they, they, they worked out through the natural world that surrounds them and surrounds all of us, the beautiful world that we live in this planet earth that God created they could see God's fingerprints all over the creation of the world which are clear and evident and obvious for all of us to see uh, God, the magnificent perfection of the world of the natural world that we live in, especially us South Africans, that we got the the bush to go to, and we see God's power of creation and beauty and magnificence, the exquisite perfection of God's natural world that is created of the the uh, earth and the animals and the birds and everything in it, and the and and human beings, the incredible perfection and genius of the human body. So Avram and Sarah saw that very clearly and they realized that they had a godly soul, that the kind creator that created all of this also created their soul, that we are part, we have a spark of the divine within us, what we call it Tselem Elohim. And they therefore realized that that Tselem Elohim not only is in themselves, but is in every single individual. That's the makeup of every human being is there's a godly soul. And therefore they, they, they said it was a kalvachomer. If, um, the kindness that, uh, God trained the 
individuals that would be the new, the, the, the beginners of this new world after the flood, God trained them in kindness to animal. Animals, how much more so do we have to be, do kindness to fellow human beings which have the spark of the divine in them, which all have a godly soul. And that was the depth of their kindness and that's what motivated them to behave in this way to strangers in the desert, to not just provide for their needs, but to go above and beyond and treat each one like a melech, like a king. Each one got his own tongue. A tongue is big. A tongue of an ox is big. And each one could have got, uh, you know, more than enough from one tongue. No. They wanted to give each one their own tongue and each one delicious cakes and each one expensive wine because you're a melech, you're a king, you're a queen. You've got a godly soul inside of you. You're a human being who could reach tremendous heights of holiness, of spirituality, of connecting to the creator of the universe, of connecting to God. So they wanted to impress that upon each of their guests, that concept, that idea. And then when a person realizes their greatness inside, they see God in the world. Really, it's usually the other way around. We see God's uh, benevolence and kindness around us. We see, and then we see God's that, that godly soul within us, within ourselves, and we can therefore see it in others as well. So that was the driving force behind the kindness of Avram and Sarah. That's why they opened up the Eishel. Eishel stands for Achila, Shtia, Lina, eating, drinking, and staying over. They opened up this inn, and they constantly provided, um, showed great acts of loving kindness to all those that entered. And they taught them about their godly soul and taught them about the greatness that each human being has within them and taught them about God in the world. That was the divine mission of Avram and Sarah. That's what they dedicated their lives to. That's what they realized God wants from human beings. And that was the beginning of Klai Israel. That was the starting of the Jewish people. And that is our role, our role in the world, our purpose in God's creation is to follow in the footsteps of our patriarchs and matriarchs, is to do God's mitzvahs, to fulfill God's commandments, and to be able to implement and um, teach the world that we are, that there's a God, there's a creator, and we all have a divine soul. We all have infinite and tremendous potential, and we all have a greatness inside, and therefore when we doubt ourselves and we have um, low self-esteem, it's just simply because we're not aware of our essence and of our makeup and of our greatness within. And when we are become aware of that, when we realize how unique and special and infinite each and every one of us is, so we will never doubt ourselves. We won't have a lack of self-esteem. We'll see our own uniqueness. We'll see our own contribution to God's world. We'll see our own greatness inside. So that was the passion of Avram and Sarah, and that's why they displayed the kindness that they did, and that's why the Torah goes to great lengths to describe that to us, to show us that the kindness of Avram and Sarah wasn't just providing for a, a lack and a need, but rather was uplifting humanity and teaching each human being the great and all-important lesson of the uniqueness of the eternity of the power of the human soul.
This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about the incredible kindness of our woman Sarah, and it wasn't simply just to help humanity, but rather to uplift society and show each individual their internal greatness and who they are as a, a child of God, as a spark of the divine that's within them having a tselem elokim. And there's a, a beautiful um, understanding. So we see that from that incident with uh, the way they treated their guests that is described at the beginning of this Torah, this week's Torah reading, Pasha Vieira. And that's coming off Leich Lecha. Leich Lecha it was last week's Torah reading. Leich Lecha tells us of the tremendous courage and commitment that Abraham and Sarah had. God told them to go. God didn't tell them where to go. And they got up and they left and they followed where God led them. And um, they had the fortitude and the faith and the ability to do so. And as a result, they began a new world, a new people, a new nation, which would be the have the responsibility of fulfilling the purpose and will of God in this world. And there's a, we'll close off with this beautiful Zohar HaKadosh I heard from Rabbi Pesach Kron. The Zohar HaKadosh says in Parshish Leichlecha that before an Neshoma, before a soul comes into this world, this godly soul that is a part of all of us that Avram and Sarah tried to educate the world about, the godly soul that we all have before it enters into our body and we are born, it is told that the are um, it's told Leich Lecha, go down into this world. And the Zohar says Leich Lecha is Gematria a hundred. Leich, which means to go, is um Lamed Ches, which is thirty and twenty fifty. Lecha, also Lamed Ches thirty and twenty fifty. So fifty and fifty is a hundred. So Leich Lecha go the the soul should go down into this world on its journey and go and and move forward on the journey. But that journey is Leich Lecha, is a going which is a hundred. And the key to success in this world is one hundred. Those are the hundred blessings that we're supposed to say every day. David Amelech describes that the role of every Jew is to say a hundred blessings, a minimum of a hundred blessings every day. And when we're davening three times a day and we go to the bathroom and say our shayatsar, we say our brochas before we eat, we say our brochas after we eat, so we get quite easily Weekday get to a hundred. Shabbos is a little bit harder because the davening on Shabbos, the Shemona Esra is, le- it's not 18 blessings, 19 blessings, it's a little bit less. So we have to make them up, try and make them up on Shabbos. But usually it's quite easy to do. So the Zohar says that the key to unlock the Shefa, the storehouses of blessing that are waiting for all of us in the heavens is through these hundred blessings. Through the hundred blessings a day, as we are Lech Lechan moving forward in our journey of life, we can unlock the storehouses of blessing in the world by saying our blessings slowly and clearly with kavana, with intention, connecting to God and to the higher spiritual worlds. So please, God, we should all learn from Abraham's, firstly learn from the great Rabbi Shapiro and his dedication to God and the Jewish people and his tremendous innovation of Dafyomi. And we pay tribute to all those that learned Daf Yomi and encourage many, many more to do so. And we should learn from 
the example of Abraham and Sarah, that they saw God in the world, they saw the godly soul in themselves, and they saw the godly soul in others. And they tried to teach the world about that godly soul. And our godly soul reaches its perfection, in this journey in this world, by saying blessings to God, at least a hundred of those blessings every day, in a sincere and genuine way, by bringing God's light down into this world. Thank you so much for listening. And have a wonderful day.